Good morning, Mission Viejo Christian Church. Can, can you help me thank the team that's leading us in worship? Love that. We are so, so blessed. I'm glad that you're here. You made it through all the cold to get here. Now, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, you need to know this. I spent, uh, we, uh, my family lived for 12 years up in Spokane, Washington. It's about 90 miles from the Canadian border. And when they hear that when it gets down to 40 degrees, we put our parkas on and, and you know, use the automatic starter to start the car and kind of panic over the frigidness of and the harshness of nature at its worst, they, they kind of belittle us about that. But then they don't know enough to move out of it and come down here where it's comfortable. So that's kind of on them, right? Right? Any of my friends that are listening online, I'm just kidding. You know, I, you know, I don't mean it. We're in the middle of this series, all in. And um, I, re- I just, I can't hear that phrase without thinking back to the time, it's, it's maybe 15 years ago now, that ESPN, a sports network, started televising poker tournaments, which seemed weird at the time. Also weird, talking about poker in church. That got you kicked out of church in the church I grew up in, but here we are. But there's that moment when they're playing poker, when a guy is so confident of what he's holding in his hand, when he's so sure that he's holding a winner, that he just takes all of his chips, everything that he has, and he just goes, I'm all in. Which is to say, everything I've got, every bit of resource I have, I'm bringing it to bear because I'm, this, is, this is where it's at. And if this doesn't work out, I'm willing to be done. And I think there's a mindset about that with regard to our relationship with Jesus and with regard to our kind of life in community as a church that says, you know what, I'm going to bring what I have, all that I am. I'm so confident about who God is and what he's doing here that I'm going to take the things that I have, my time, my energy, my resource, and I am just all in on what God wants to do. And that's what this series is about. And along the way, in order to find out what are we all in about, well, of course it's God and of course it's Jesus. But we're revisiting a little bit kind of our mission and vision statements of the church so that we can all be all in on the same thing, right? Because it can be a little divisive if, if half of a church is all in on this and another church is all equally in on that. And they don't even have to be bad things. They can both be great things. But if everyone's all in on different things, that just leads to tension and drama and other things that we just don't need to necessarily deal with, conflict and division and right on down the road. So we talk about all the time our mission here. I suspect if you've been with us for much time at all. You've heard us talk about our mission being that we want to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ to make disciples who then go out and make disciples, right? And what it looks like when we're fulfilling that mission, when that's happening, there's this picture of what it looks like, that this is a, a vibrant church where real discipleship happens, where love is on display for everybody, and where lives are released on mission for Jesus Christ. Now, that's what we're all in on. And this morning, we're going to be talking about kind of that first part about real discipleship happens. My name's Scott. I'm one of the members of the uh, pastoral team. Uh, my, my job title is the discipleship pastor. So seems seemed like a, a nice chance to get up and talk about discipleship happening in the church that way. Please do continue to pray for Pastor Mike as he's recovering. He's on his way, but keep him in prayer. But this morning, I get to talk about discipleship, which is one of my favorite things in the world. And here's the deal. We, we talk about those phrases, real discipleship happening, love being on display, lives 
um, being released on mission, those are great words. It's a fantastic mission statement. But can I tell you something? It's not just words on a page. It's not just a statement that's done. It's happening. It's happening in this church. And I want to celebrate that this is a church where we see God at work in all of those ways. And I really, I'm a huge believer that in this new year, 2024, we're going to see, we're going to see just explosion of people coming to Christ, growing in Christ, and sharing Christ with others. And I don't want to miss out on a bit of it. So the question then becomes, yeah, so how does that happen? And, and what forms this background of our view of discipleship? Discipleship is just this very churchy kind of word that recognizes that there's a process of coming to know Jesus and then getting to know him better as we follow him and become more like him. That's discipleship, the the process of following someone in order to learn what they know and to become more like who they are. How how do we view that here in the church? Well, I want to steer our attention to a passage out of the book of Hebrews. And in this passage, Paul is writing to a group of believers. um, Their background is in Judaism. They grew up within the Jewish faith. Um, and then they came to Christ, but then in uh, 70 AD, the Romans came into Jerusalem and, and, and the Jews there scattered all over the world. So the writer of the Hebrews is writing to Hebrew Christians who have been scattered all over. And this is what the writer says. He says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. There's a bit of a rebuke here in the writer's tone. He says, you've been around, you've known God, you've been following Jesus for a while. There, there was supposed to have been this progression of growth and maturing and deepening with the faith, but you've kind of stalled out in the most infant of stages. And the writer's not okay with that. He's saying that's not all right. You're, you're stuck here, but the design for discipleship is that, is that you ought to be growing and developing and maturing. Because he understands that discipleship is something that happens by design. It happens progressively. That there's growth, that there's development, that there's change along the way. That's the way it ought to happen. I think about one of my favorite memories as a dad was sitting in, sitting down with the toddlers as they sat in the high chair, right? And or no, probably not toddlers, but more like the infants feeding the like the baby food in, and just sharing that time and making the mouth face that I thought they needed to make to do. And, and it was like, like this wonderful, beautiful parenting kind of moment that I got to spend, plus food. Like if I, can be, if I can be instrumental in helping my kids enjoy the wonderful world that is food, that's great. So that was a great parenting memory. But let's be honest. My son's uh, coming up on 30 years old. If I sat him down in a high chair and chubbed his little cheeks and started wedging food into his 30-year-old mouth, people would say, something's wrong with that. <laughs> Not just, the, the, there might be something wrong with the kid, but there's certainly something wrong with the dad. 
right? Because that's not how it's supposed to work. There's a developmental process that's supposed to move from these things that are absolutely appropriate in the earliest stages of development. But there are some basic skills and, and basic um, practices that a, that a child learns and grows and develops, and then they start using their own hands to eat their food and throwing the food all over the, the dining room and learning that that gets you in trouble, and all that happens so that hopefully at 30 years old, they're on their own and ready to teach kids of their own, right? That's how it's supposed to work. And when that isn't happening, when it hasn't happened, we go, there's a problem here. The writer to the Hebrews is looking around and he's saying, we got a bunch of 30-year-olds who are still being spoon-fed with regard to their relationship with God. There's no shame at all at being an immature, brand-new, infanty sort of follower of Jesus. None at all. Unless you've been doing it for 30 years. The writer of Hebrews says that that's a problem. When God calls us to follow him, he doesn't just save us and say, okay, good, you're an infant Christian. Stay there, I'll be back soon. He says, I want to invest in you. I want to develop you. I want to see you grow from places of immaturity towards deeper and deeper maturity that way. The, he's, the writer there to the Hebrews says specifically, you're immature in that you don't understand the teaching about righteousness. You need to be taught it all over again. Understanding he's writing to, uh, to Jewish believers who grew up initially in the Jewish faith where righteousness was seen in terms of like following the law, right? obeying the rules, living the way you're supposed to live. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the writer seems to indicate, yeah, that's it's kind of an immature, it's an immature view of following God that is simply for those who are at the beginning stages. There's, there's a growth point that comes when we move away from just following the rules to something else. What is that something else? What does it look like to be a more mature follower of Jesus? It's not just about doing what are the right things to do so I don't get in trouble. They asked Jesus, what's the most important command? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, your strength. And he said, and there's another one that goes right with it. It's right alongside. It's parallel with it. In addition to loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you got to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, the whole of all the rules are tied up in those things. See, as we grow in maturity, we grow from, we grow from a mindset, well, what are the rules? What's the minimum thing that God requires of me? What are the do's? What are the don'ts? How do I take care of that? And God says, I want to develop you from there into a deeper kind of relationship. A relationship in which we walk together, in which I, I experience God's love for me and I pour out my love for God. And I'm so enraptured by my love for God and his love for me that it overflows into the life in the way that I love other people and care for other people that way. Where, where the primary question perhaps is not so much where what's the rule but a very relational question, Lord, what pleases you? Amen. And as we grow from an immature place to a mature place, we find that we're becoming developed as the way we're supposed to. Now, how do we grow that? That passage that we just read, it talks about that those who have grown into maturity, those who are done with the milk and have moved on to solid food, appropriately growing in the relationship with the Lord, how have they done that? He says, first of all, by constant use. He says they put to use whatever, whatever amount of growth has taken place, whatever amount of learning has taken place, they're constantly putting that to use and that's what grows them towards maturity. Do you remember in the book of James in the New Testament, James talks about, look, it's one thing to hear God's word, 
but it's another to hear God's word and then go do it and live it out, right? Putting into practice what God is speaking to you. That's, that's part of how we become more mature. He says, and they do it by training. By constant training, they train themselves to grow in maturity. Training takes things like self-discipline. It's the beginning of the year. I know um, several people have mentioned to me that um, on, uh, a couple weeks back I said something along the lines of New Year's resolutions are stupid. <laughs> Apparently that resonated with a lot of people. But it is, a, it is a season of the year in which it is appropriate to say, God, is there some place you're directing me? Are, things, are there things you would like for me to address in this coming year? And the thing is, it's one thing to be able to state, hey, here's something I think I should address because God's calling me to that. That's awesome. But then there's the going out and training myself to do it. It makes no sense to say, I really feel like God is calling me to get my finances in order. And then to just sit around waiting for the $100 bills to come raining down from heaven so that my financial life is in order. No, if if God puts it on our heart that, that he wants to bring that into order, then it's up to us to say, how will I train myself to accomplish that? What disciplines will I put in place? What limits will I impose on myself? What of, what of God's instructions with regard to finance will I put into place and obey actively? What are the things I will do and train myself in order to accomplish this thing that God is calling me to? Constant use, training. And then he says, and so then you get to distinguish. That helps distinguish uh, good from evil that way. You see, there's this progression, this development that, and growth that's a part of discipleship. And I'll simply say this. As you evaluate, as you assess, as you look at your own spiritual life and relationship with God, if you don't see growth or transition or change or development, you ought to be asking why. And then we ought to be asking, and how can we change that that way? Because discipleship happens progressively. It moves towards an end of maturity. It doesn't just happen progressively, but this is really important. It happens relationally. In God's kingdom, we don't just go off into a quiet, dark corner room and learn stuff and become more like Jesus. Now, I I personally am a very introverted person. My best day is with doors closed, alone, with a book and a phone off the hook, and just me. Maybe that's because I'm not good company and no one else wants to be around me. I don't know. I'm not sure what that's about. But I'm, but I'm an introverted person. And I, I could be very comfortable spending a lot of my life just kind of alone with a book and some thoughts and a whole lot of coffee. That would be great. But discipleship, this growth towards maturity and following Jesus, getting to know him better and becoming more like him, in, in God's plan, in God's economy, it doesn't work as a solo sport and on our own. I mean, at the, very, at the very most basic tenet of Christian faith, the Son of God departed from the perfect community in heaven and, and came to be with people in order to save people. That, that's the model, that, that growing involves connecting with others that way. And, and what that looks like is hinted at by Paul in Romans chapter 12. 
He says this, about the kinds of relationships that we have with one another as we're following Jesus. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. See, our, our following of Jesus, our pleasing God, our growing in maturity isn't just about God. It's also about how we interact and how we treat and how we grow with and love others, to treat others with honor even more than ourselves. In fact, I would suggest, based on the model of scripture, that the kind of progressive development and growth that we're supposed to be experiencing, that takes us from being infants with milk to adults with solid food, it can't be done all by ourselves. The writer to the Hebrews said, Let's draw, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, And with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water. Those are the things that God has done for us as individuals. But then he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Our spiritual journey, our growth in discipleship is not just about our own personal development. It's about us arriving together where God is taking us. And I need you to spur me on to love and good works and to encourage me because there are days I'm not going to get through the day without that. There are other occasions where God will, where God will use me to spur you towards love and good works because you're going to need that on some days. But none of us arrive where we're supposed to be unless we're on this journey together. Um, if discipleship, if growing to know Jesus better, to follow him better and become more like him. If it was just a matter of acquiring information and a skill set, we've, we've got the internet. We can do that. We can acquire information. In, in three clicks, you can be listening to some of the best biblical teaching in the history of the planet. That's there. And by the way, I suggest that we utilize those, those technologies that allow us to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Social media in part is um, so popular because it gives the impression that we're all connected in this together and we're all on this journey together and we're all sharing all of this together. And that's, uh, that's very attractive. Now, whether social media actually performs on that promise is a whole different topic. But we all see the draw of feeling connected on a journey. When we do discipleship here at Mission Viejo Christian Church, we take that into consideration. There are a number of ways that we grow in our faith together. One of the primary ones is life groups. We do this because Jesus modeled this. When he was going to take a bunch of um, fishermen and, and folks who weren't really qualified to be leaders and grow them and mature them in their faith to where they're ready to be the ones who are responsible for taking his message out to the world, he grabbed a group of 12 guys and said, let's do our life together. And over the time that we spend together, you're going to emerge on the other side of that ready to do what I've called you to do. And 
beyond that, we see that, that that works so well with Jesus that when Jesus ascended to heaven and the church began, the church in Acts 2, we're told, did exactly the same things. They met in each other's home. They were devoted to prayer and the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bed, bread into fellowship. They lived their lives together. And as a result, the church grew rapidly and powerfully because people were growing in their faith, developing and discipling together. We do that. We call them life groups, but people have called them small groups or fellowship groups. It doesn't matter what you call them. It matters what you do there. And what you do in a life group is to be connected with other people so that your journey is not alone, your journey is not anonymous, that you are known and cared for and supported even as you are knowing others, caring for others, and supporting others that way. Now, there's lots of ways to get to a life group. Um, Like a lot of the growth starts we do, um, we're actually coming up in just a couple weeks. We've got an after uh, an after church Sunday lunch called Starting Point, so that if you're new or newer to the church, it's kind of hard to come into a group of several hundred people who all seem to know each other really well and say, where do I fit and how do I meet people? A way to start that process of growing together is to go ahead and register for the Starting Point lunch, and that's a place where you're going to meet people and begin that process. We have a, a seven-week-long, it's kind of a, we call it a starter life group or your first life group called Next Steps, that Again, highly connected, introduces you to other people who are new, who are newer to the church, helps you understand the church better, helps the church know you better so we can then come together at the end and go, okay, what's your best fit moving forward? And then we've got a number of life groups that continue to meet after that. We've got life groups that have been going for years and years and years just sharing life together. It's not just a program. We don't have a life groups program. We have groups of people living their life together because discipleship happens relationally that way. We, I mean, relationally doesn't have to be a big group either. That can, that can break down to like one-on-one. We actually have a group of people who for the past year have been doing something we call D12. And we've just identified 12 discipleship milestones that over the course of the year, we're gonna attack these milestones. Things like how to have a devotional life, how to understand the Bible, how to pray, how to grow in healthy relationships. And there's, there's 12 of them. And each month we attack one and we have some resources and we just uh, we engage those resources. Then we come together and we have one-on-one conversations about what we've encountered and how we can grow in that. And there's a group of people who are just about ready to finish up after a year. And this is my favorite part of the whole deal, right? For, for a year, they've had a person that's been investing in them and caring for them and discipling them and processing all of these milestones together. I love that. And next year, these folks who have been discipled for a year turn around and say, I'm gonna do that for somebody else. I'm going to be a disciple who's making disciples. I'm virtually certain that we have people in this room who need that kind of attention and focused discipleship. They just want to grow. I'm also convinced we have people in this room who would be absolutely qualified and God would use you to help invest in someone and be the one who disciples them. Please talk to me. I would gladly talk to you about what that's all about for sure. And, and even, even on the, we do a, a number of things, you know, we talk all the time about uh, service um, and serving teams and the hundreds of volunteers it takes for a church like this to run. Folks who are leading us on stage in worship, folks who are with the kids back in kids ministry and in students ministry and the wonderful people who are greeting and putting up signs and we can go on and on and on, right? Do you know how much of that happens in isolation? None of it. Because no one's out there just doing a thing on their own. 
We're in teams working together, serving God together, because that's part of our growth, part of our discipleship. And it doesn't just happen progressively. It happens relationally as we're connecting with one another that way. Discipleship, it happens progressively, and it happens relationally. But this is really important. It also happens intentionally. We're not passive recipients of discipleship and growth. There's an intentionality that goes behind that. This is what Peter wrote to to believers back uh, in the New Testament. He says, for this very reason, make every effort. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, add knowledge. And to knowledge, add self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. That's a lot of work. And that's a lot of effort. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. Like, it's not enough that you have some of these in your life. He says, if you, you, you need to be increasing and growing in that. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. He says there's a lot of effort to be had. This this growth, this progressive relational growth takes effort so that it is happening in an increasing measure. And he says to do it for this reason. For what reason? Why, why are we doing all of this, taking these intentional steps to grow in these different items that Peter mentions this way? To understand the why of that, we have to look back a few verses before. Because Peter has set the tone. He sets the tone and then says, and so, so go to all this effort, right? Here's what he says in the immediately preceding verses. He says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these, praise God, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Why are we doing all of, why are we, why are we with increasing measure making effort to add Compassion, to add love, to add knowledge, to add understanding, to add compassion. Why is it that we go to great lengths and work so hard and put all that intentionality to work? This is super important. We don't do that so that somehow we measure up to God's standard and that once we're doing that well enough, then he approves of us and says, okay, you can be one of mine. That's not what's happening there. Because Peter is saying, look, Christ has redeemed you. He's already empowered you to be a partaker in the divine nature. What Christ did on the cross and makes available to us is the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within us and redeeming us, allowing us as we repent of our sins to walk in forgiveness and to all of his power. That's already been done at that point that we come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the done deal. We are as saved as we are going to get. We're not earning God's favor. We're not 
proving to him that we're devout. We're not proving to him that we meant it when we said it. The, our, the reality is at the point that we have come to faith in Jesus Christ, the salvation work is done. God accepts us and he says, welcome into my family, my son, my precious daughter, my child. You belong. And in response to that, not to earn that, but in response to that, because we are his kids, because he's loved us so deeply, because he's empowered us with his Holy Spirit, we want to respond in a way that pleases him. And what pleases in them is as his kids, as those who have already been accepted, as those whom he already embraces, is for us to put our effort to the kinds of things that please him. It's after he has redeemed us, and in response to that, that for this very reason, we make every effort to add to our faith goodness, and to add to goodness knowledge, and to add to knowledge self-control and perseverance and godliness and mutual affection and love. It's for that reason that we work to possess those things in ever-increasing measure. So here's the thing, that, that bit about that phrase, increasing measure. I suspect that, that represented here with us is uh, we probably have people everywhere on the spectrum from not even sure I believe in Jesus, I'm just, kind of, I'm just learning even what it's all about, to I've been following Jesus as long as I can remember, remember and everywhere in between, and that is exactly as it should be. Like at this end of the spectrum and at this end of the spectrum, we're in the right place together. But, but here, here's one of the things that unites us in that, is that we, whether we find ourselves at the very beginning exploring stages or, or further down the line in our discipleship, we share this together. We're not done. And God is not done with us. There's another step to take. There's another point of growth to embrace. There's another, um, perhaps it's a discipline that we need to step into so that the growth can continue. There, there's always going to be more that way. The, the folks who are just getting ready to graduate from D12, as I mentioned, it's not like we're going to hand them a certificate and say, well, congratulations, you're done. God's pleased with you. You can just take up a chair and pay your tithe for the rest of your life and God's going to be thrilled with that. That's not what's happening at all. What's happening is they've completed a part of the process, which gives the basic building blocks and understandings to spend the entire rest of their life continuing to grow and become in increasing measure who God has called them to be. I just want to ask you to do the self-assessment of have you perhaps maybe stalled out on that ever-increasing part? Become content that as I look back, I've come so far. I've learned so much. In hindsight, I, I don't like where I was, but I like where I am now. Let's stay here. It's so easy to do. You know how it is after you complete one project and then you finish it I'm not a particular particularly handyman around the house but I have 
a decorator wife. And I'll just say that her vision outpaces our resources. (laughs) Which means that sometimes I find myself myself doing projects that I don't know how to do them. And I don't have the tools to do them. And thank God for YouTube, right? And when I get up the courage to try a project and I do the, and I, and I get it done and, and the lights are actually on and shining down or the fan actually spins around like it's supposed to or like the project's done, I, I just want to sit on the couch and stare at the magnificence of what I have done and just enjoy the growth and the project that has taken place. And my wife, God bless her, she's so proud of me and she so believes in me that in that moment she says, you know the next project we could do. (laughs) And it just, in the words of a a dear friend of mine, that sucks the zippity out of my (laughs) doodah. Because I want that moment. I want to just settle in and camp in that spot where I've accomplished the previous task. That might not be bad for a few moments or for a day. But when that somehow becomes a lifestyle of looking back and loving rather than an increasing measure moving forward, there's there's a problem there. There's a problem. And that mindset can trickle over into our relationship with God. It's great to be able to look back and say, God, what have you done? As I review your faithfulness in my life, I see it here. I see the way you took a difficult situation and you grew me in that. And you saw me through this series of landmines over here. And I was sick over here, but you healed me. And then you restored that. And I look back and I see God's faithfulness and that's great. But Lord, what, what's the increasing measure step that you're calling me to take today? I want to ask that of you. What does it look like for you today to say, God's calling me to grow in increasing measure. That's how I get from being a toddler in the high chair and avoid being the adult in the high chair as I grow in increasing measure in these areas. So maybe you read through the list of items that Peter wrote of areas that we can grow or maybe God's putting something else in your heart. But I'm convinced that there's always a, a next area, a next thing, a next step, a next place of increasing measure where we're growing in our discipleship. And if you look at that the wrong way, it's depressing, right? I'll never be done. I'll never retire from discipling. <laughs> I'll never retire from following Jesus. Exactly. Why would we want to retire from following Jesus? Um, discipleship is not an end point and a goal that we celebrate with a conclusion and, and, a, and a graduation. Discipleship is a way of life whereby God empowers us to become who he created us to be. To develop from who we have been right through who we are into who he designed us to be. And that's not done until we are done. So while we draw breath, we continue to say, God, I want to please you. I want to grow in you. I want to become more like you. 
would you help me to do that? So what do we do about that going out of here? Here are a few action steps I would love for you to consider. The, the first is this. Reflect what was your last growth point? As you look back, what, that last, what was the last kind of challenging thing God put in front of you and, and asked you to do or to step into? Maybe he asked you to serve at the Christmas Eve service. Maybe you responded to that. Maybe you took a course or a class, or maybe you started a discipline of reading his word or praying daily, whatever. Maybe, what, what was the last point of growth, either in practice or in character, that you felt God d- directed you to and you took it? Celebrate that, but also let's get to work on naming the next one. What's the next thing God has in mind? Okay, also, with regard to it being uh, discipleship, being relational, right? Um, the next action points would be that we need to find the people that can help us grow, right? If, if discipleship happens relationally, then I'm going to need to go out and reach out and find the people who can help me grow. And then I also, if it's relational, God, would you help me find the people that I can help grow. They may be within your family. They may be within your neighborhood. That may well take place within one of the programs or groups uh, or life groups here in the church, Uh, absolutely. But it can happen in all kinds of places. But Lord, would you direct me to the people that I can help grow at the same time that you're helping me find people that help me grow. And then finally, whatever that next step is, it's commit to that next step. Say, not, not just here's what I'm being called towards or here this might be a good idea or I think this would be wise, but to say, here's what I am going to do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, God's calling me to put my finances in order. What are you going to do about that? I am going to take this step. I'm going to cancel these subscriptions, whatever it may be. I don't know that, that, you know, but whatever it is, it's it's not just identifying the issue. It's saying, what are the steps, specific steps that I'm going to take in that direction? And beyond just committing to that next step yourself, I will always encourage you, tell somebody who will hold you accountable. Hey, I'm making this commitment. This is, this is going to be a year for me where I want to make sure that every day I'm reading my Bible And every day I'm praying, I'm going to do that. And I'm telling you that because I'm asking you to call me two weeks from today and six weeks from today and 12 weeks from today and just ask me how it's going. You know the people in your life who will follow up with that kind of accountability. You also know the people who will smile and say, oh, that's such a good, wonderful thing that you're doing. And then they won't call. Don't tell them. You want to reach out to the people who love you enough and are close enough and care enough about your growth that they'll get up in your business a little bit if you're not following through on this step that you believe is an act of obedience to the Lord. I think that 2024 has the capacity and the opportunity to be a year of unbelievable growth for us as a church. Now, there's lots of ways to define growth as a church. There can be, there's growth in numbers. You can have growth in energy, right? You, you can have growth in, in depth of relationship with God and depth in, uh, with one another. You can have growth of impact out in the community and seeing um, 
God's love displayed to people around the community. There are so many ways to define growth. And I believe God wants us to experience all of them. But I will say this, none of that matters if we're not each of us individually growing in our relationship with God. Following Jesus, learning to obey him, to become more like him, to fulfill his mission. And it's as we're all in, and when I say all, I mean all of us, all in on that journey, that's, that's the, the power cycle. That's the sweet spot. That's when the growth of all kinds takes place. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.